Well, we wanted today to be a special gathering, and I actually get the opportunity to sit down with a special guest, and it is a miracle that we're even getting to step into this moment together. For those of you who have never met Stuart Hall, Stuart is going to be sharing a little bit about his story today. And the reason why I wanted to do this is on Father's Day, I just felt like this was an opportunity for us to slow down in the sermon series that we've been a part of and let the Word of God be spoken spoken through a testimony and a life story that is actually happening in real time. So, Stuart, welcome back to ACC. It's been a minute. It has been a minute. I think the, the last time I was here, the power went out. The power went out at the Auburn University Hotel and Conference Center, yes. you made me yell the entire time. I I did, and I was glad you were here for that day, but now we get to have power of our own. Incredibly honored to be here. We're pumped to have you And I still can't believe you're a pastor. Me neither. I'm I'm still working on catching up to that. By the way, it is okay if there are moments of laughter and uh, real moments from wherever you're watching this from today. Uh, Stuart is a voice to many middle school and high school students, but more than that, uh, I grew up going to summer camps where he was the speaker and thousands of students would gather either at the beach or at a weekend retreat. And when Stuart Hall was bringing the word of God, it was the most special moment. But when I was in college, Stuart actually intentionally, Panama City Beach, Florida, I still don't know why to this day, noticed me and decided to be really intentional with giving me advice about the future. And we developed a relationship and a friendship that has lasted to this day. And so it's amazing that on Father's Day, we need to honor our biological fathers, but we also need to honor our spiritual fathers and men who have spoken truth into our lives over time. Stuart, you have been that for me. And I want to say thank you today. I want to say I'm so honored to even have you sitting where you are sitting right now. And uh, I just, uh, I just want to pray over this conversation. Thank you for age shaming me, by the way. But I do there's no age shame at all at Auburn Community Church. We are a multi generational church. We have two different age groups: the group that we call the prime of life. That's everybody who's in the older category, and you might be there, but you're in your prime, bro. And then all the younger people, and that's it. That's where it stays at. Let me pray. And would you bow your head with us? Heavenly Father, thank you for this moment. I pray that you use this conversation, that you use this story for your glory. God, you know every detail that has led up to this moment. And I pray for every person listening that you would give them ears to hear, that their hearts would be open to what your word is going to say to them today. We love you, Jesus. We want to see you do something so powerful in this time. We believe you died. We believe you rose. And we believe you're alive in this moment. I pray that we would encounter you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Stuart, there's a lot of things that we could talk about. But the one that many people in our church were following along with and praying along to was your story over the course of the last few months. Mm And instead of turning this really into an interview or a conversation, I kind of just wanted to get out of the way and let you share what has happened in your life the last few months and share the miracle that it is that you're even sitting here speaking today. Well, I, I certainly feel the weight of the miracle part of it. Um, I've told a ton of people and will continue to tell people I'm so undeserving to, you know, at the time that we're talking about this, close to you know, 113,000 people have died from the COVID-19 virus. And the fact that I'm alive 
having contracted that virus and the things that happened as a result of that. I'm, I'm not sure why I'm still alive, but I'm so unbelievably grateful. And it has been an insane ride, um, to say the least. And just incredibly grateful to Jesus that I'm, I'm here, but even more so like the, the scores of people that I know fought for me um, spiritually and praying and holding up Kelly, my wife, and our three children, Grant Chandler and Cameron. Just that's the part that's the most humbling for me. And I don't know how much of this you want me to like. Well, I mean, let's go back to the beginning. Because okay. I remember hearing that uh, you have been diagnosed with COVID-19 mm-hmm. and then things just kind of keep spiraling for the worst, kind of to the degree that I remember sitting in my office in this building mm-hmm. and just begging God, along with thousands of others, but mm-hmm. begging God for your life that day. Right. So kind of talk about sure. how it originally yeah. came into your life and then, and then what went on from We're there. We're not 100% sure how I contracted the virus uh, March the 25th, I started feeling bad, um, chills, fever. Um, we tried to treat it like anybody else would, flu symptoms. Um, it didn't get any better. So four days later, um, Kelly, my wife, took me to the ER. Um, the, the thing that I don't think people realize about the virus is I think one of the most difficult things about it for someone who gets it are the family members who don't have it. Um, so Kelly literally had to drop me off at the ER um, and had to go and sit in the parking lot. Uh, they didn't have enough tests. Um, they weren't real sure that they should admit me. They took an x-ray of my chest. The x-ray showed, they, were, they told me they were 97% sure I probably had the virus, but because they didn't have enough tests and because I wasn't showing enough symptoms, they sent me home to self-quarantine, which we did. So I go home and stay in my bedroom for the remainder until I went back and I just got progressively worse. Um, My fever would range anywhere from 104. Kelly got it down to 101, but I stayed in the, you know, in a pretty serious fever um, and then midway through that, I wasn't getting any better. We contacted our general um, physician, and he put us in touch with an infectious disease doctor. Uh, and I got prescribed uh, a, a medicine that's become pretty famous, hydroxychloroquine. I took that drug and did not sleep for three days and progressively went really downhill fast until um, the early morning of uh, uh, April the 7th, one o'clock in the morning, my wife and my, our son took me to the hospital and a long story short, uh, either on the way or when I got to the hospital, I was having a heart attack. Uh, and I'm a relatively healthy guy. The thing that's the most strange about, in fact, I have a piece of paper to kind of keep the dates in order. I don't remember anything. Um, For how long? Uh, the last thing I remember is watching Creed in my bedroom April the 6th, that night. And then the next thing I remember is 20-something days later, uh, coming to, coming out of the fog in ICU. Uh, so my wife, Kelly, and I have had to have story time. I, did, I had no clue I was having a heart attack. Uh, Kelly got to be in the hospital with me in that initial stage. Um, 
but she had a doctor come out, Dr. Kakar, who's dear to us now, who literally told her, your husband's main artery in his heart is 100% blocked. Um, he also has the COVID virus, and there are a multitude of other things going wrong with him. Um, and you can imagine how this is. Our son's in the parking lot by this time. Our daughters have made it to the hospital, and they can't come in. Kelly is texting them from the, the, the waiting room. And eventually this doctor tells her, you need to pray um, because he doesn't have much hope and she's got to leave. Um, when you hear that after the fact, uh, the fact that my wife and our children stayed up all night in the parking lot walking and praying for me, that'll mess you up. Uh, but obviously um, they put in a stent, a heart pump, but my body was such a mess that what began was this incredible odyssey that I found out later of uh, them trying to basically get, keep me alive. Um, there was a point where we found this out two weeks after I got home. Uh, there was a point where six or seven doctors were standing around my body and they were literally looking at each other like, what do we do? Because he's dying. And it just so happened that a kidney doctor uh, was in the room and he called Kelly and he said, uh, I was intubated. I was in a medically induced coma. Um, the other part of this, again, about the family is my, my family could not be in the room. They couldn't be anywhere close to me. They literally are sitting on pins and needles every single day, 24 hours a day. We're also in a pandemic. I have the virus. They, they may have the virus, so they're quarantined. They can't leave. And they're literally sitting every single day Every time the phone rings, you know, Kelly, her heart drops. Um, but this doctor calls Kelly and says, I would like to do a plasma exchange on your husband. Uh, it's low risk. Um, it may work, but he really doesn't have a whole lot of options. And of course, she's like, whatever you need to do. And in less than 24 hours with that first plasma exchange, I was a different person. They were supposed to do three. They only had to do two. And by the end of that second plasma exchange, they're exubating me and I'm starting to come out of the fog. Um, so yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, I had to relearn how to walk mainly because of the amount of medicine that was in my body. My, my brain just couldn't compute how do you put your one foot in front of the other. Um, and again, I don't remember anything. So even just kind of coming to grips with what had happened was really difficult for me. Uh, but I left the ICU on April the 29th, got put into a regular room, and then came home on May the 2nd. And uh, now I go every day to physical therapy, and I'm pretty sure they're trying to kill me. So, um, yeah. So good. And it is okay if you're in your living room right now or watching this on your phone and you just want to say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, that he's sitting here right now still in the middle of a global pandemic and ready to share about the love of Jesus. Because it truly is a miracle. We throw that word no around a lot. No but question. It, it, the fact that you're here sharing your story, I remember that week being on a Zoom call with maybe 20 other leaders and the combined influence of that call is just massive the number of churches and ministries and organizations that are led and almost 
every single man or woman on that call could trace the beginning of going into ministry or saying yes to God's call on their life to your voice. And so it was just powerful that day to hear the prayers that were prayed, including my own, asking God, would you please give Stuart more time to tell about the love of Jesus? Would you please not let this be the end? Would you please not leave Kelly and your kids in this moment and the fact that God was faithful to answer every single one of those prayers. I know we're not gathered in the same room, but you can be applauding right now because I can sense that and feel that through technology. It's, it's just so amazing. (laughs) It is. It, it's it there. One of the things I know you've sent me a couple of questions, but one of the things that I've learned from this is that over explanation distance it separates you from astonishment. We are a culture that loves to be able to explain how something happens, why something happens. And there is no explanation um, except for the fact that Jesus is real, the resurrection is power, and then there's a bigger part of it too, and we can get into this more in just a second. But, I mean, the countless number of men and women who fought for me their prayers. Um, And I would be remiss, in fact, it's something that is really important to Kelly and I. For however many days I was in the hospital, doctors and nurses risked their own life on my behalf. Because we're living in a time where we make light of the virus. And if, if anybody can hear anything today from me, it's this. It is extremely disrespectful to the medical community for us to say things like conspiracy theory and it's not real. We have heard stories where a nurse is in a room dealing with a patient and someone flatlines in another room and just by the fact that they have to do what they have to do from a sanitation and safety, they don't have time to get to them and they die. So the fact that I am here and those men and women fought for me. Uh, you know, this video went online uh, of me coming out of ICU and the hall is lined with all this medical personnel. And if you notice in the video, I'm clapping. I'm not clapping for myself. I'm clapping for those men and women because it was a celebration of, you know, James said it this way. <laughs> you show me your faith, I'll show you my deeds. And I, you know how grateful I am that people didn't just pray for me, but doctors and nurses went, we're going to fight for you. It's, and it, I think it bleeds over to all of us as Jesus followers too. There's a time to pray. There's a time to get on our knees and beg God. But there's also a time where your feet better match what you're praying. Come on. And I am unbelievable grateful for those men and women who and are still on our way here today. One of those doctors is texting us, just checking on me. So I could go on about that forever. No, that's so good. I think one of the main things I wanted to give you the freedom to share about is how has God fathered you through the most difficult trial you've ever walked through? And what have been some of the immediate, I know for me, when something difficult comes up, I see crystal clear things that God has been trying to get across for a long time, never been through anything like what you and your family just walked through. So I want to know 
fresh off of going, God just did a miracle to keep me alive. What has God been speaking to you personally? Well, and I'm not trying to be funny, but one thing God did, I don't remember anything. So that's a gift in and of itself. Unfortunately, Kelly and our children experienced so much trauma um, and they are dealing with that and he's being a good, good father to them. Um, I think there's a song about that. Uh, But I've heard it a couple times. (laughs) Yeah. We got a new song out about the father's heart written by our own Matt Cole that we're pretty excited about. Shameless plug. Um, But (laughs) shameless. (laughs) But what I can say about myself, one thing that has become really, really apparent to me, and Kelly and I were discussing this even before my health crisis, um, is this idea of idolatry. An idol is not an idol because the, it has some property that is of value. An idol is an idol because of the value we place on it. And I am convinced that the American capital C church, the dude sitting in this chair talking, probably all of us, we've made an idol out of certainty I'm, I'm convinced that sometimes we worship certainty more than we do Jesus. And what God rocked me with, you know, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, or, and forever. He doesn't say your circumstances are the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't say your health is going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't say your family is going to be the same yesterday. In fact, that same Jesus who doesn't change promised us that in this world, we will have trouble. There's one thing that I haven't asked this entire time and I won't. I haven't asked why me? Because what I think my heavenly father is doing is shifting my attention to be late. What he's showing me is you better fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith. You better make sure that you put your attention and your affection on the only one that changes because everything else around you is going to change. And here's how I know certainty is an idol in our culture. Even in the church culture, certainty is an idol, and this is one way that you can test it. We are so committed and idolized certainty that if there's any sort of distortion to our certainty, wherever there is some sort of distraction toward our our certainty, we will make it an opposition. We will immediately go, it's the enemy. Let me prove it to you. It's a number of people that may even be watching this and you are convinced that the COVID-19 virus is a conspiracy theory. Or with what's happening with the race issue, that you've made it something that it's not. Because when it attacks your certainty, we want to go, well, I have to remain in this comfort. I've got to make sure that I live here. And so we'll make an opposition of everything. And the reality is, I think what God wants to do is redirect our focus and attention on on Jesus. I, I would even propose that the scriptures can become certainty to a certain degree. And when something happens in your life that doesn't match up to, you know, every cross T and dotted I, we don't know what to do. And, and so, again... What has happened with Kelly and our children, what is certainly happening with me, is that Jesus has to be the epicenter of everything. Our worship has to be 
him. It has to be totally focused on him. Um, Another thing that I would tell you too is back to that idea of of our, our, our works matching what it is we say we believe. I think what I am challenged by now, because I am a survivor, um, there are, I mean, that same doctor that texted us today rem- told us two days ago that they're losing people in ICU. Um, I think it's incredibly disrespectful to those of us who, because our certainty is interrupted, the healthcare workers in our country need our support and they certainly deserve our respect because they are fighting so hard, just as hard as people prayed for me, these men and women. Some of them, this will mess you up as a Jesus follower. Some of them who don't even believe what I believe are fighting for my life. And it's caused me to go, do I do that for my neighbor? Do I love people that way? that I will be willing to fight to see them flourish even though I may not even have the same belief system as them. That's just a few of the things. When you said certainty is an idol that stays hidden, I, I, I think of a picture of idolatry and I think we think of all of these like sinful notions of putting something in the place of God and no doubt that's there, but I think what you've gotten to see is that idols are also not real. Sure. And so certainty in and of itself is not only an idol, it's an illusion. Right. It's, it's, it was never something that was set in stone. And because you've gotten to walk through this and see, I was never promised all of this time with my family. I was never promised health. I was never um, certain that all this was going to work out a certain way. How do you continue to carry that level of trust as things get better and as you, know, you talk about uh, our, our sort of transition from coronavirus, we have such a short attention span that we assume, oh, yeah, that's starting to become a thing of the past, and you're getting texts going, no, this is still happening all the time. How do you keep that fresh awareness of faith and not let certainty take back its place as that idol and as that illusion? Well, once you realize that certainty really has no value, why in the world would you place any value on it? It's proven itself that it's, inv- it's not valuable. And Jesus has proven himself to our family. He's proven himself in a new, rich, fresh way to me. So why in the world would I place my faith or trust or lean my life completely on something that's going, it, it doesn't keep its promises. We're going to have trouble. So for me to go, I'm shocked that I contracted a virus and I almost died. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the tests. One thing that I have stressed to Kelly and our children, and this is hard, fear doesn't keep you from dying. Fear keeps you from living. It doesn't keep you from, we could be afraid of uncertainty, but what that does is it keeps us from putting one foot in front of the other. And so I want, if I've been given a second chance, why in the world would I not trust the one who breathes breath in my lungs so and follow him as passionately as I can and hopefully set that example for my family. So good. Speaking of your family, amazing family. I think we have several pictures of them that we're going to show. Uh, you are a father. You're one of the greatest fathers I've ever known. You are a husband. And today we celebrate Father's Day. 
where I specifically want to challenge the men of our church. I'm a young father. I have two daughters, one who's three and one who's one. And so I'm learning. But I feel like your perspective on fatherhood on the backside of all of this happening probably has some things attached to it that maybe weren't as clear before. Sure. What have you learned about being a dad and being a husband going through what you just went well, through? I'll answer that in two ways. First of all, Kelly is the secret sauce of our family. She's it's, amazing. It's not me. Amazing. And, and anyone that knows my wife knows that she, her greatness so overcompensates for my stupidity and ignorance and misgivings and missteps. Um, so if, if there's anything that I've done well, it's convinced her to marry me. College um, students, are you listening? Single people. We do, a, we do a Bible drill at our church every week. Only the uh, single people leave their Bibles up in the air after a certain amount of time. So it kind of, it kind of serves to be this like pair off of Christian dating. I, I want them to hear loud and clear a, a sort of a side sermon. Marry out of your league is no what question. you are saying. It, yes. Secret sauce. I know I'm in Auburn, Alabama okay. where football is a big deal. Outpunch your coverage. Come that on. is the goal. You need, you, yes. Now, don't get so lofty in your idea of who it is that you can have that you're, you know, there's people that are single for a reason and single for a season. Come on. So, but yes. It I is, love it. This just became a dating talk. Yeah, but anyway. It's great. Yeah, I think I was going to talk about the father. Um, so you, you married just I, way yeah, outside a, of your she's capacity. She's the secret sauce. Yeah. Um, one thing that, my heavenly father has taught me. Um, and he was teaching us this before my health crisis. Um, God doesn't promise us he'll heal us. He says he can. Doesn't promise us he will. That changes the way you pray. It's a different thing to ask God Will you heal him? Instead of, I know you're going to. It's a different thing to pray, I know you can, and I'm not sure you will. Again, if you think about it, it's laying certainty to the side and going, I'm going to trust the heart of my father. I'm going to, and Kelly tells this unbelievably emotional story that every time she tells it, I lose it. There was a point in our, in my, I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a coma. Uh, one thing that happened is they, I, I vomited one day in my ventilator. So my entire body became septic. Uh, I developed bleeding ulcers as a result. I'm going downhill fast. And she tells this story how she got up early one morning, grabbed her Bible and a blanket, went and sat on her front porch because she was battling. And I, I told you this off camera. All three of our children and Kelly have come to me separately after I'm home and said, Dad, I just want you to know, almost like they had to confess this, that I had resolved to the fact that you were going to die, which will mess you up as a dad. But Kelly tells, tells me that she goes and she sits on the front porch. She has her quiet time. She watches the sun come up. And it was like God just said to her, it's okay. And she went, you can have him. 30 minutes later, she gets a call. He's going to be great. It's constantly this. And it changes the way you trust the heart of your father. It has to. 
Because if certainty is the thing, then you're messed up. And I am convinced there are people watching this and listening to this, and you have trusted God for something that he never promised you. And, and now your heart's broken, but the reason why it's broken is because you thought God was about certainty. Jesus is, but it's like what C.S. Lewis said about Aslan. He's not safe, but he's good. He's dangerous, but he's good. So God, you know, I, I think God whispered that to me and then started yelling it to me as I'm coming out of the fog and understanding things. And then as it relates to our children and being their father, the middle of adversity is the greatest opportunity to self-test your belief system. And they got a test. What is it that I believe? And it, it really is a gift if we think about it. Some of us, to be very candid, aren't, you're not sitting there where we are as a family. And that's the part that messes me up the most because I don't know why we're where we are as a family because there are scores of people that have had a test. Your belief system was tested and the ending isn't what our ending is. But our children had an opportunity to watch their mom in real time see if she really believes what she says she believes and she follows who she follows. And I can just, I mean, you know, if anybody has passed the test, it's my wife. To watch our children, ooh, that's been humbling. And again, most of that's because they have an incredible mom. But, but it run, it, I think it runs counterintuitive to our primary instinct as protector because we want them... Sure to be okay. We want to put everything around them, but you're saying it was actually being put in the danger, being put in the midst of a trial and a storm that tested and developed their faith. Yeah. And Jesus became real to them sure. as well. Sure. We have our sons, the oldest, we have two younger daughters. Our son's been out of college for a couple of years. Our daughter actually graduated in May virtually. And then our youngest is a sophomore in college, a rising sophomore. But to watch our son, like, he literally was like, I've got to be the man of the house. And the way he loved and cared for his sisters and cared for his mom. And, and then you know our daughters, they're like mini-me's of Kelly, just fireballs. And to watch the way they responded. I think it's important for all of us as earthly fathers to remember this, that it's, we it is hard to hold our children or anybody accountable to speak a language that we've never provided the alphabet and the words for. And sometimes when this kind of thing happens, it's a way for us to give them the ABCs of faith. And so I think that's what they're still dealing with to some degree, that they're still learning the alphabet and putting you know, their feet to action based on what it is that they've learned about themselves, based on what it is that they've learned about God. Um, <laughs> it's funny, they all have the same uh, perspective about how much I would have been, and I am, I'm really uncomfortable. Survivors get way too much credit. Um, all I did was lay there. It's the men and women who prayed for me and the men and women who fought for me 
that, that really deserve all the credit, but they also know that they can't explain why I'm still, still here. And Jesus is that answer. So good. So you're a father, a husband, and on Father's Day, I wanted that word to go out to dads and husbands as they lead their families dependent on Jesus. Uh, but I also know that Father's Day is a sensitive day and a difficult day for many uh, many of you have lost your earthly father or maybe have a strained relationship with your earthly father. Like I said earlier in this gathering, and today is a hard day. I know it's hard for my wife every year who mm -hmm. uh, lost her dad a few years ago. And so this year, on top of everything else that you went through, you actually lost your dad at yeah. the beginning of the year. And I just kind of wanted you to share for those who are hurting and mourning today. Yeah, January the 9th, my dad... Um, if there is a way to die, my dad did it. Uh, when we found him, when the, the MT people found him, he was sitting like I'm sitting with his legs crossed in his recliner. He had his uh, crossword puzzle on his lap. In his hand was a pen. And he was watching the brand new 52-inch smart TV we had bought him for Christmas. And it was on Sports Center. That's a way a man wants to die right there. But my dad was my hero, crusty, tough, rough, but a Vietnam veteran. So, you know, that, that has played into this, this year, um, at my first time not being able to tell my dad how much I appreciate him, how much I love him, and then having a new lease on life to some degree. But, it, but it's also helped me value 10 billion times more. One of the things, you know, Kelly and I are farther along than a lot of parents who have young children like you guys. But one of the things that I have learned is that I grew up in a home, my dad was tough, he was hard. Um, and I learned this lesson the hard way because it's really easy for all of us to buy into the American idea of what it means to be a young man, what it means to be a young woman, I think one of the things that is haunting us as fathers and as men is toxic mas masculinity. Uh, Joe Ehrman, who's one of my heroes, talks about how most men in our culture are brought up idolizing the bedroom, the billfold, and the ball field. That we feel like that if, I, if, if I'm not somebody that can please a woman sexually or have multiple conquests sexually, uh, if I'm not making a ton of money and the only place that I can actually express my emotions is in a competitive way on a ball field, then I'm not a man. And what winds up happening as a result is the young women in our life and women in our life catch the brunt of that toxic masculinity. I, I grew up in a home like that. Unintentionally, my dad wasn't trying to ruin me, but one of the things that happened as a result of that idea is this constant criticism and, and all of us as fathers, if we're not careful, can find ourselves because we want our children to be the best, to being critical of our kids. And the thing I've learned about, if there's a lesson I've learned as a father, it's this. When you are constantly critical of your child, your child doesn't stop loving you. They stop loving themselves. And the thing we have to breathe into our children is 
God is love. You've been created in the image of God. And because God is love and you've been created in the image of God, you've been made by love to love and be loved. And your earthly father needs to reflect your heavenly father and, and not, we still need to correct. We still need to coach, but being critical constantly, just because we want our young men, our sons and our daughters to live up to an American standard that has nothing to do with who Jesus created them to be. That's the thing that I think beats in my heart this father's day. What would you say to someone who has that critical father and is hurting today? Well, I think one of the things that we have to ask ourselves, uh, if I'm a, de- if I remember someone saying this to me as a young father, you need to pay attention to the questions that you ask your kids. Because your questions that you consistently ask your children is pointing to what motivates you as a parent. And I was constantly asked as a young man growing up, what was your grade? Did you score? How many did you score? Did you win? And I began to subconsciously begin to, what pleases my father is how I perform. And you can ask Kelly. We had tons of conversations when we were dating. And she made me swear, you are not going to be like your dad with our kids. Because she knew. And I will never forget kneeling beside our son's bed and hearing myself ask those questions when he was little. I haven't always done it right. Love doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be true. I haven't always done it right. But the way that you change is by asking different questions. Because any father, every father, what we know is what our, the accomplishment of our children isn't what really matters to us. What we hope and pray is what Paul talks about that in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form and you have been given fullness in Christ. That's what we want our children to step into. So if that is the case, then what are the questions we need to constantly ask our kids? Because our children, and are more, probably more from fathers, our daughters are taking their cue from us based on what it is that we ask them. Thank you for that. I, as you talk about daughters, I'm, I'm wanting to just Yeah, you're living in the estrogen kids. ocean at your house. I am so far. So I wanted to have a moment before we close this time together uh, where we're going to pray over dads and we're going to be believing for their families. But before I do that, I wanted to give you a moment that I actually prayed for when you were in the hospital, I prayed out loud on my knees, banging my fist into the ground, Lord, give Stuart the opportunity to preach the message of Jesus. And I pray that you give him a double portion of the power that was on him even before this. So I just want to get out of the way and nothing about any, any you know, pre-planned topic. We didn't even plan this moment, but I want to give you the chance to look into that camera and tell whatever you want to say on the other side of a second lease on I life. I look in that camera? I think it's that one. Okay. Here's what I would say sitting where I'm sitting today. And I, Kelly said this earlier, and I believe it to be true. I, I don't think God makes things happen to us. But in his sovereignty, he wants to make things matter. And I don't have a clue what it is that's going on in your respective life today. 
I don't know what's happened. Thank God I don't know what's going to happen. It it amazes me constantly how we pray to see the face of God and the greatest gift I received through my health crisis is God didn't, he didn't allow me to see him coming. But we always see his back. We can always see, oh, that's what you were doing. Some people call that revelation in retrospect. So here's my prayer for you. First of all, that you... God didn't make whatever it is that happened in your life happen, but he wants to make it matter. Would you be willing to join him in making it matter? The thing that beats in my heart is I want want to join God in making my health crisis and the new life that I have matter. As a father, you you have a second chance today. (laughs) The beautiful thing about the grace of God is that he offers you forgiveness and a second chance. And here's what's incredible about your family they do too. Because here's the thing, dad, your sons and your daughters more than anything else want a relationship with you. And so they, they're extending forgiveness to you. God's extending forgiveness to you. Maybe you need to extend it to yourself and forgive yourself and allow whatever circumstance it is that brought you to the place that you are today as a dad to make it matter. That would be my prayer for you that the circumstances of your life, there's a reason why Paul said that all things work together for good. He didn't say all things are good. He said they all work together. That is the amazing thing about this sovereign God that we have. So if I may, just make it matter. Don't don't waste the pain. Don't waste the circumstance. (laughs) My physical therapist says it this way, embrace the suck. Because there are parts of our life that are just not cool. They hurt. But when you embrace it, what you'll find, I think, is this God comes behind us and it's like him breathing wind into your cells. Um, And I know that's what every dad wants to do. So that's my prayer for you today. This is the first time that you've gotten the opportunity to grab a microphone again and encourage people i'm I'm glad i was sitting down i'm so grateful that that you are willing to do this and bless our church on this father's day thank you for being so bold a few weeks ago we did a sermon called the father's blessing and it was amazing to hear stories of families watching that together because i asked each family to surrender or i asked each father to cover his family in prayer. If you're gathering together as a family, I know many of you are watching this individually, but you can still participate. I asked the dads, would you cover your family in prayer? And for many families in our church, that was the first time in a long time that the dads had 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 that moment of intentionality to go, I'm speaking a blessing over my family. What we want to do today is end this time together, reversing that. I would love it. If you're in a room with your family, I would love it if everybody, the kids, mom, would gather around dad. And I know many of you are watching this individually. Maybe you're just going to pray for your dad, but I'm going to have a moment where I pray over Stuart, but I'm going to ask that as I do this, would you take a moment to pray out loud over the father of your household, believing 
that God has the best days for your family still in front of you. I believe what God has done through Stuart's life and through the Hall family is meant to go out in a powerful way for the fame and renown of Jesus. And I believe that that is going to happen today. So right where you are, I'm going to pray in just a minute. But would you take a moment to just pray a blessing over the dads? Pray comfort, pray strength, pray courage, and then we'll come right back. Heavenly Father, thank you for this moment. I thank you that the story of a father and a husband who you have restored can go out to encourage so many. And God, I pray in our families that no longer would we fall at the altar of certainty. We spend our lives trying to control and manipulate every ounce of comfort to benefit us. God, would we turn that in and surrender it today saying yes to you Jesus as we don't know how the story's going to unfold but we do know that you're the same we do know that you're in control we do know that even though the events around us can seem crazy and circumstances can hit that make zero sense God you make it matter and you use all things in our story God I pray that you would use pain I pray that you would use heartache turn it into forgiveness and freedom today. God, for Stuart and so many dads out there, I pray just a prayer of strength and courage over them, that you would empower them on the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit to do what only you can do through them. God, would they not find their strength in trying harder, but would they find their strength in the joy of the Lord that you delight to be our strength. You delight to come through on our behalf. So would you do that again, God? Thank you for being the God of the miraculous. Thank you for hearing and responding to our prayers. And thank you for Stuart's life. I pray a blessing over his family. God, that you would continue to use him in a powerful way. And God, we thank you for the gift that he's been to our church today. God, remind us every day of our lives of your fatherhood. Remind us that we have not been adopted as slaves into your family. We've been adopted as sons and daughters who call Abba Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we say yes to our new access. We say yes to being your children. And we pray to you today in confidence, believing for more. We love you, God. And we give you this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for gathering with us today. We believe that It's going to be powerful what God has done in and through this time. Go and be the church. Happy Father's Day, ACC.